you're listening to Just One of the Guys, where I'm thinking I might need to start taking some XTC to enjoy these comics. You, you get it? It's a pun, because the band's name is XTC. You, you get it. You get it. Dear God, hope you got the letter and I pray you can make it better down here. I don't need a big reduction in the price of the people that you mean your image see them starving on their feet cause they don't get enough to leave from Hello everyone and welcome to episode 168 of Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast hosted by the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. My name's Sean Mingle, and my job on the show is to cover the Green Lantern comics, specifically the comics that came out between June 1990 and November 2004, all the while putting a special emphasis on my two favorite characters in comicdom, Green Lantern's Kyle Rayner and Guy Gordon. Unfortunately, as usual, Guy Gardner is nowhere to be seen, relegated to back issue bins where you should go pick up the wonderful, wonderful Guy Gardner Warrior stories. Unfortunately, we're not covering those here. We're covering the Green Lantern comics, specifically this time out, Green Lantern number 168. And we're continuing into the Ben Rave run, which is a thing. And this time out in the book, we're taking a look at Green Lantern Kyle Rayner dealing with a planet full of overly biased people who have been attacked supposedly by a bunch of Green Lanterns. And he's having to find out who actually did this and why he has to face the planet's deity and take him down for some reason. I don't know. It's getting to the point in the book where I'm looking at it and thinking the people who warned me that the Ben Raid run is probably one of the weaker parts of the Green Lantern run of this era might be kind of correct. The cracks are starting to show. However, it's not an awful story, just not one of the best ones. Thankfully, we've got some good art by Rick Burchett in the story, and we hopefully will have some interesting ads to take a look at as well. Plus, as always, I've got an email from my good friend to the Great White North, Mr. Scott Davis, as well as some promos for podcasts I'd love you to listen to. So, after we get done with these podcast promo breaks, as usual, we'll get into our coverage of some more Ben Rabe goodness. That's up to you to decide. Anyhow, let's finish without listening to the song by XTC. Rather a blasphemous song or a rather blasé show. Or blasé comic. Hopefully the show's not blasé. Anyway, here's XTC. Superman, Captain Marvel, Batman. It is 1985. Robin of Earth 2, Sergeant Rock, the Legion of Superheroes. This is the most eagerly awaited comic book event in 50 years. 
coming tomorrow. Jonah Hex. Commanding. It will one day be called the greatest comic book event of all time. Swamp Thing. Wonder Woman. The New Teen Titans. The Haunted Tank. Infinity Incorporated. Worlds will live. Green Arrow. Worlds will die. Supergirl. The Flash. And that is only the beginning. The Justice League of America. The All-Star Squadron. The Huntress. Ariane. The Metal Man. Firestorm. The Nuclear Man. The Outsiders. Green Lantern. The Blue Beetle. The Crime Syndicate. Warlord. The Guardians of the Universe. Tales of the Justice Society of America proudly presents... And many, many more. Crisis on Infinite Earths. The DC Universe will never be the same. Coming January only at twotruefreaks.com. Okay, Bill, are we ready? Sure, Paul. Oh, wait. Be right back. I need my Avengers omnibus. Uh, where did I put that thing? While Bill looks for that, let me tell you about our new endeavor. Two True Freaks has grown, and Back to the Bins is growing with it. I, Paul Spataro, along with Bill Robinson and Scott Gardner... Just say his name three times in an email and he'll appear in your show. Hey, how's it going? Ah! Sorry, sorry, I forgot I had a Scott Gardner life model decoy in here. Be right there. Ow! Ow, who put Cap Shield there? <laughs> anyway, we're looking to showcase various characters, storylines, issues or whatever strikes our fancy from the world of the Avengers. Hey, Ben, move that funny-looking hammer, would you? It's it's on that book, and I can't move it. Sure thing, Dad. Where do you want it? Uh, over there somewhere. No! no! Watch out for the repulsor! Ow! Oh! Ah! Ah! Don't tell your mother. We like to call it Avengers Spotlight. I thought it was going to be called Old Avengers Never Die. They just get reassembled and sent to another Earth. What? Too wordy? Who knows what we'll cover, and who might stop by? So join us for the Avengers Spotlight, where we'll look at Earth's greatest heroes and some of comics' greatest stories, such as the Korvac Saga, Acts of Vengeance, the Kree-Skrull War, and, oh, for the love of Christ, who the hell put the Celestial Madonna Saga on this list? Huh. I found a use for that life model decoy after all. Okay, found it. We ready? Hey, wait a minute. This is the book of the Vashanti. <sighs> Forget it. See you soon, everybody. My favorite Avengers are D-Man and Green Lantern. Say goodnight, Scott. Goodnight, Scott. R. What's that stand for? Robin. Hello everyone, this is Rob Myers, and I'd like to invite you to check out my podcast called Robin, Everyone Loves the Drake. Rob, are you going to take out the trash? Uh, I'm right in the middle of uh, recording a, an ad for my, my podcast. I'll, I'll do it in just a little bit, okay? Sorry to interrupt. Boy wonder time. Boy wonder? I'm all man, lady. Uh, Rob? Uh, okay, where was I? That's right. My podcast, Robin, Everyone Loves the Drake. It'll be hosted over at thebatmanuniverse.net. 
I'll be covering Tim Drake's origin story from the very beginning, starting with Tim's first appearance in Batman 436, also known as Batman Year 3, and hopefully going all the way through the Robin ongoing series, starting with issue 1 and going all the way to issue 183. 183 issues? Wow. Well, it's a good thing, because... Everyone loves the Drake. You don't like the Drake? I hate the Drake. I love the Drake. How could you not like the Drake? Who's the Drake? Who's the Drake? The Drake is good. Generation Star Wars is speaking up and sharing its story. I'm Andrew Leyland. I'm David Michelini. I'm Tom Panneries. I'm Steve Glosson. I'm Matt Hunsworth. I'm Scott Gardner. I'm Ryan Shaw. I'm Paul Herman. I'm Jimmy Mack. I'm Ryder Waldron. I'm Justin Bulger. I'm Joseph Tavano. I'm John Jackson Miller. I'm Concetta Parker. I'm Steve Sansweet. And this. And this. And this. Is my Star Wars story. Is my Star Wars story. My Star Wars story. My Star Wars story. My Star Wars story. My Star Star Wars story. My Star Wars story. My Star Wars story. My Star Wars story monthly at mystarwarsstory.com and available in the iTunes store. And we're back. But before we get into the stellar issue by Mr. Ben Rabe, let's go ahead and check the Just One of the Guys email bag for some missives from you wonderful folks. You've got mail. Pattern baldness. <laughs> And once again, it's my good fortune to read a letter from my friend of the Great White North, Mr. Scott Davis. He writes in with the title of his email, Jade, Pregnant, Not. Sorry, that's a horrible Wayne's World reference. Anyway, Scott writes, Hi, Sean. Here are some thoughts on some issues I've read recently. Green Lantern 158. This is the first issue after Kyle's break, Away from Home, and it's funny that Winnick is recycling this title already. Yeah, I was... I was shocked as well that he couldn't come up with something original, but what are you going to do? Firstly, I thought Kyle gave his ring to John in issue 155, so whose ring does John have then? I agree that this is a lackluster issue, and honestly, I don't have much to say here. Your bike will sham as great as usual, and it's funny that you predicted the world might be sentient, because the next issue we find out that you're correct. That was just luckiness on me. I kind of... I kind of figured it might be something to do with that because it's a sci-fi thing, but I honestly didn't know it was going to turn out to be Moko. But, you know, it was nice that they brought Moko into the story. Uh, continuing on with the email, he says, with uh, Green Lantern number 159, this was a good issue, and it's great reveal that the planet was Moko. I liked how Winnick slowly brought back members of the core, Oa, Guardians, Jon Stewart, Jade, Moko, etc. Good stuff. And a good call that the boar beasts look like the shucks. A good issue, but again, not much to say here. Green Lantern number 160. The de- this was a decent issue, and the artwork was great. The cover with the lady, lady warrior with the Borat bathing suit straps was hilarious. Yeah, um, we're going to get more and more of that over the uh, next few issues, I'm sorry to say. She's got some serious camera though, too. Ugh. Never think about that. I like the Terry update and how he calls out Kyle for taking off. You were hilarious by saying how ridiculous it was that Jade had to go to Walgreens to Earth to pee on a stick instead of using the ring to find out if she was pregnant. Yeah, uh, again, most powerful weapon in the universe, giant scanner of everything, have to go back to Earth to find out if you're pregnant. I don't get it. He says, I really agree that Winnick is definitely phoning in right now. Again, not much to say here. And then Green Lantern 161, ugh, this was a bad story. You were hilarious talking about the reveal on page 7 that the warrior lady is Liana. 
the nipple cannons on page nine were hilarious too. Oh, yeah. Got about those. Gantt using magic to put everything back together on the planet is absolutely ridiculous. Even more ridiculous was the pregnancy issue and the fact that immediately after he just had a pregnancy scare, they go and mess around one more time before Jade leaves to go home. Hopefully they're smart enough to use protection this time, or do you think Jade faked the whole thing to see how Kyle would react? I hope that's not the case, but it really was a... weak story element to have Jade declare that she's pregnant in one issue and then declare in the next one that she isn't. It doesn't give any drama to the story and it's really just well it does give drama to the story but it's it's a drama for no purpose. It's jarred. It's not even addressed really and you would think something this important would be something they'd want to focus in on and it's just a sort of throwaway ideal throwaway idea in the book which I didn't really like at all anyway going back to the email he says since we know that Winnick's run is ending soon and he's such a fan of real world issues of these stories I'd be surprised he didn't tackle the issue of planned parenting hmm. I don't know if that was supposed to be there and maybe he got knocked down by editorial who knows he said this was a terrible issue there's also no explanation on how Liana turned into the warrior lady in the first place or did I miss it no it was just basically she was floating around, and then she decided to get all big and stuff. Comics. On a side note, he says, you were hilarious going through the ad for this issue. These four issues were really lackluster, and I'm actually looking forward to Ben Brave's run to tell the truth. Well, I hope you're having more enjoyment with Ben Brave's run so far, because it's starting to hit that area where I'm kind of wondering if it's going to go downhill. But yes, I do have to agree with you, Scott. These couple of issues were not the best in Judd Winnick's run. And luckily, we'll be getting to the Black Circle storyline here after this. And things will look up after that. Until we get to Bent Rape. But that does it for emails. I'm going to go ahead and knock it on the head there. And we're going to get into our coverage now of Green Lantern number 168. Green Lantern number 168 was cover dated October 2003 and released on August 27th of 2003 with a cover price of 225 US and 375 in Canada. The title was Deicide and the writer of course was Benjamin Rabe. The penciler was Rick Burchett, the anchor was Rodney Ramos, letterer Kurt Hathaway, colors and separations were by Bruce Bowman, the assistant editor was Nacho Castro and the editor was Bob Shrek. In Space Sector 2814 on the planet of Galtea, arguably the most spiritual spot in the sector, the masses are gathered to pay homage to their god, Sarkis. As the ancient acolyte gives thanks to the deity, he, as well as the assembled crowd, are attacked by a bunch of masked marauders riding sky cycles and blasting green energy bolts. The aftermath of the attack is what Green Lantern Kyle Rayner is now investigating, asking the newly appointed religious leader who could have done something like this. Entering the sacred temple, Kyle is shocked to find that the perpetrator has left a calling card of sorts. The symbol of the Green Lantern, painted in the blood of the slain celebrants strewn around the altar. Cut to Earth, where Terry Berg is being interviewed by an obvious Larry King analog about his recent attack and subsequent spokesman job for the Human Intolerance League. Terry tells the tale of the attack and spells out what the League is trying to do to promote tolerance and understanding amongst all of those who are different. 
the interviewer praises Terry for his efforts, saying that his parents must be very proud. But a scene at the Berg household might show something different than that. Back on Galatea, Kyle wonders what his role in this is all about, and the Space Pope says that the word of Kyle destroying the blind has been viewed by some as a divine act, prompting the Galateans to believe that Green Lantern must slay their god Sarkis. Kyle asks what will happen if he doesn't, and the Space Pope shows him images of a prophesized war amongst their people. Hoping to stop the slaughter, Kyle heads out to find Sarkis, while the Space Pope disposes of an acolyte who could disclose his deception. Meanwhile, Kyle engages Sarkis, and the two deliver some consequences, copyright Allen and Emily Middleton, 2014, all rights reserved, to each other, with Sarkis gaining the upper hand. Across the Eight Galaxy in Masa Eisley Cantina, Shiro Nova is chatting with sexy Greedo wannabe Karina about his failure to deliver the head of Kyle Rayner to Amon Sur. Karina mentions that Shiro should be worried about his family, but since he's failed the Black Circle, they've decided to use another vendor to take out the Green Lantern. Of course, Shiro isn't impressed by the new set of bounty hunters and dispatches them by lopping off their heads all Ben Kenobi style. Elsewhere across the galaxy, Miranda Thalas is vying for a job at a corporate office building. However, her resume doesn't impress the head of HR, who suggests that with a body like hers, she would be more suited to something in the adult entertainment industry. This, of course, angers Marin, causing her to threaten the slime ball and get thrown out by security. Classy. Elsewhere, Kyle is finding out in his battle with Sarkis that the whole prophecy thing was just a ruse, prompting Kyle to launch an all-out attack on Sarkis. Unfortunately, the attack goes bottoms up, and Kyle gets killed by Sarkis, who proclaims himself once again the deity of the planet Galtea. But the death was merely a ruse by Kyle, perpetrated by a construct version of the Green Lantern. In reality, Kyle has revealed the Space Pope to be a traitor to the planet's people, as he was the one who killed the former religious leader. Saying that he had hoped that Sarkis would slay the Green Lantern, the Space Pope places a blaster to his head, ending his life and revealing himself as a black sh circle shapeshifter. Crisis averted, Kyle heads into space to return to Oa, but before he can reach the planet, he discovers a badly beaten, yet bouncing and behaving haired, Ganthet, floating in space. Approaching the fair-haired guardian, Kyle asks who could have done this to someone so powerful, and with such full-bodied locks as Ganthet. The guardian explains that it was the race that he was searching for, the race that is plaguing Kilowog? The Zadi. Okay. I can start to see some of the cracks in the writing that people have been mentioning about Ben Rabe's run. There are some elements here that don't work for the character of Kyle Rayner, and some subplots that really don't do much to advance the secondary characters in an interesting way. Still, it's not a bad story, but it could easily swing that way. I'm really still enjoying Rick Burchett's art, and that's the thing that's really keeping me going so far, but the writing is starting to wear thin for me. Let's go ahead and take a look at the book as a whole, starting with the cover now. Uh, it's another decent cover by Ariel Olivetti that has very little to do with what happens in the book. You've got an image of Kyle standing over the uh, 
God Sarkis, like he's going to sacrifice them while people hold their hands up, sort of, I guess, saying that he shouldn't. This doesn't happen in the book, so it's just one of those sort of deceptive covers, but whatever. However, the one thing that does irritate me about this is the cover copy says that Dale Eaglesham is supposed to be the interior artist for this, and obviously, again, it's Rick Burchett. Is this just laziness on the part of the editor, or were these covers commissioned well before we knew that Dale Eaglesham wasn't going to be doing the art? It just seems, and since the last uh, book actually had Rick Burchett on the cover, are these books out of order in some way? I don't know. It's just, it seems that people aren't caring about the book anymore, and maybe that's why the general sense of the overall quality of the book is going down, at least in some people's mind, and kind of in my mind as well. Page one, the image of Sarkis, uh, the god of these uh, Galatean people on their temple, looks a bit like a mashup between Thanos and the Martian Manhunter. It's a stereotypical alien-looking facial features, but not really all that original and kind of disappointing from Burchett, who's been able to do some interesting character designs with the aliens in the past couple of issues. Page 5, again, this is kind of lazy, but a few issues back, Terry was contacted by the quote-unquote Barry Queen show to do an interview, and now the person who's doing the interview is Barry King, which is an obvious analog of Larry King. The character even looks a lot like Larry King in the artistry. Why was there the change, or is this just another mistake, like the cover copy stating that Dale Eaglesham was going to be in the book? Did they not recall that a couple issues back, the person who was supposed to do the interview view with was going to be called Barry Queen? Or was that Rabe sort of making a play on the identity of this person? Instead of him being a king, he was a queen, kind of referencing his sexuality. If so, that's kind of trite and cliched, and I really don't enjoy it. Plus, Rape doesn't ha seem to have a handle on the issue of Terry's assault and homosexuality as well as Judd Winnick did. Winnick was able to touch on the subject without making it incredibly preachy, and Rape just isn't able to, to capture the, the subtleties that Winnick put into the story. And on page six, that's really put in a, into a focus here, where it's just Rabe putting forth that Terry is so courageous for that. There, There's no subtlety to Rabe's writing here. We've got the Justice League praising Terry's courage. I mean, that's fine, but having Superman say that Terry is courageous is, is really overstating the cause. I mean, yes, he's courageous for coming out, but Superman, on a daily basis, saves the planet from alien invasions. It's just a huge overstatement of the importance of Terry's desire to talk about what happened to him. It's not in any way diminishing it, but comparing what Terry's doing to what the Justice League do is apples and oranges, in my opinion. Plus, then later on the page, you've got Guy Gardner in the Warriors Bar making a snarky comment, which again makes him out to be an insensitive jerk. I'm not liking the way Ben Rabe's portraying Guy, so there's another knock against Ben Rabe. 
And finally, the bit at the end with his parents, where you're uncertain to whether they're feeling proud of their son or whether they're feeling embarrassed by them. You look and you see the mother is, is sort of sitting there with her head in her hands while the father's shedding a tear. You're not really led to believe whether or not they're actually proud of their son coming out and speaking out about this or whether they're embarrassed by it. And the fact that Ben Rabe isn't able to convey that feeling to the readers and makes it kind of ambiguous just does a disservice to the story. Page seven, this was a really elaborate plan that they thought out to try and kill Green Lantern, that they went to this religious planet, attacked it, made it look like the Green Lantern did it, and then printed up this entire ancient book of prophecies to try and fool him. I mean, just couldn't you go shoot him? This is all very Dr. Evil and very convoluted. Page 8, there's a little Easter egg foreshadowing here, as the uh, hat that the alien brings to the space pope is the same type of hat that the Green Lantern invaders were wearing at the beginning of the book. So a little seeding there that this character is a bad person and is the uh, villain of the plot. Uh, it's kind of subtle, which, you know, in this book, something subtle is actually kind of a blessing, so that's good to see. Then page 10, we get Kyle attacking... Sarkis, the alien god, with a ring-construct squirty flower. Yeah, I, I can see where people are looking at Ben Rabe and going, maybe not the best writer for the character. Moving on to pages 12 and 13. Essentially, this is a representation of the cantina scene from Star Wars with Han and Greedo with less laser swords and more boobies. I mean, once again, the artwork by uh, Rick Burchett is really nice. You're developing more of the character of Shiro Nova. However, I don't know whether this character is going to be anything other than a character that's specific for the Ben Ray run. And so far, I'm not really all that interested in her backstory or his backstory at all. But then on pages 14 and 15, this is just stupid. It's... I can understand how it might be difficult for Marin to get a real-world job. First of all, having her experience be basically being a outer space police officer. But having her try to get a real-world job only to have one of the people say that she, could, she should go into porn as an industry, that's really in poor taste. And... It also ends with Marin looking to the citizens of New York City like she is the problem. Like she's the one who is acting out of character. And even Marin at the end feels that she's made a fool of herself when, for all intents and purposes, it's this slimeball HR person who commented that she should probably go into the adult and into the adult film industry. That is the one who is really in the wrong. This is just uncomfortably bad writing from Ben Rabe and not really doing a service to this character that could be really taken and done something interesting with, you know, giving her an idea of trying to find her way on her own on this strange alien planet. Then skipping ahead past the fight scene to pages 19 and 20, 
the whole resolution that this was all an elaborate plot to try and kill Kyle by making him fight some incredibly powerful being was so convoluted that I had to reread it a couple of times just to understand what was going on. However, it could have also been that I, by this point in time in the book, I really didn't care all that much, and I didn't really want to try and understand it. So, yeah. Page 21 in the top panel. I don't understand why Rick Burchett tends to draw Kyle in this flying through space and these sort of goofy-like things. He looks like he's delivering a flying kick here. I understand you're trying to shake it up and... Kyle can fly in space or maneuver in space in whatever way that he wants to, but these poses that he's had that looks like he's squatting or kicking or whatever to maneuver through space just don't work for me. And then even here on the same page, we get the reveal of Ganthet without his ponytail, and I've got to say, either get a haircut hippie or or put it in the ponytail, because serious, he's got major Fabio Ferra type hair here and it it looks silly as all get out but finally page 22 we get the uh, idea that Kilowog has been sucked into the Zadi interdimensional hell thing and I'm fine with that if it gets rid of Kilowog's dark lantern uniform so hopefully we'll see that happen <sighs> Maybe I was a bit more negative on this book than I thought I was. I mean, yeah, it's not issue 37 bad, but still, it's not what we're used to. I'm starting to get worried. <sighs> Hopefully some of the ads in the book will make me feel less worried. Maybe they'll bring me some modicum of joy. Of course, it doesn't look like it with the... uh Front inside cover is an advertisement for Zapzit. It's basically a tube of the OxyClean type stuff on a big orange background saying Zit happens. Not really, you know, I guess it's a clever ad because they're playing on the uh, statement of the other thing that sounds like Zit that happens. So there we go. The advertisement, we got the one for the uh, top secret Navy thing again. Done that before. After that, another, I don't know, anime-type ad called Chaos Legion. It's from Capcom. I don't know whether it's an RPG or a fighter-type game. I've never heard of it before. And since I never had a PlayStation 2, I probably... Well, I definitely never played it before. After that, we can add for a film that I can't even remember coming out. It's called Grind, and it stars essentially no one. Mike Vogel... Uh, geez, well, it's Adam Brody's in it. Trying to look to see if any name. It's executive approved by E.K. Gaylord II, which is interesting because E.K. Gaylord II is a uh, sort of like, he's kind of like the William Randolph Hearst of Oklahoma newspapers. So maybe this was a pet project of, you know, the Oklahoma newspaper magnet weird but it looks like a bunch of pre-tea or you know college kids you know who are skaters going on some sort of skate journey i don't know a few more pages in you get an advertisement for magic the gathering cards saying to play big and you've got your stereotypical 
hip-looking drawn teens that are going to be playing Magic the Gathering. There you go. Another advertisement for OxyClean pads uh, with the Averis peoples showing how to cover up your zits. Yes, kids have zits. The Alienware gaming machine. Uh, I think we covered this last time. It's an interesting-looking uh, computer tower with a sort of alien design. After that, we get an advertisement for what is this? Uh, I guess the NBC uh, Gravity Games, which I guess is trying to cash in on the whole idea of the X Games, except not be affiliated with ESPN. Looks like a bunch of people doing biking and rollerblading and motocross jumping type stuff. It's typical X Game stuff. After that, got the ad for Freaky Flyers, the Sonic the Hedgehog, you know, animated, chesty, boobalage, babes, flying airplanes. Okay. Uh, and good. We had to make the issue wonderful with the mosaic of tobacco is wacko if you're a teen ad. We never get enough of that. And then, of course, the back inside cover is another advertisement. But that's three advertisements in this book for... Uh, skin cream as we've got a clear skin clearacell chilling pump thing i don't know weird and the back outside cover is angelina jolie as laura croft with the milk mustache or the presumed milk mustache depending upon what your fantasies would like to imagine uh, hopefully next time out will be a little bit better as we're gonna find out what's happening with kilowog and what's happening with ganthet's hair Man, that was just ridiculously long locks. Anyhow, I guess it—I guess I could say it can't get worse than this, but yeah, it's still possibly can. So we're earning a rough batch, folks. Hope you'll stay with us for the next episode. Until then, have a good week. You've been listening to Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast, hosted by yours truly, Sean Inkle. All images, stories, and music are copyright their respected copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. This podcast is done solely out of my desire to show the denizens of the internet that comic books could be fun, humorous, compelling, thought-provoking, and exciting, while not having to fall into the weary tropes of the 1990s. I'm not in any way doing this for monetary gain, which irritates my wife to no end. All feedback for the show can be sent to the show's Gmail account at justoneoftheguyspodcast at gmail.com. All feedback, positive and negative, is warmly welcome. All spam bots are warmly welcome, too. As long as your definition of a warm welcome is for them to die horribly in a fire. The website address for the show can be found at the brand new Two True Freaks website located at twotruefreaks.com. There you can find the RSS feed, as well as scans of the covers, and whatever else I feel like putting up. Look for me on iTunes. Just search for Two True Freaks Presents Just One of the Guys Podcast, and you can subscribe to the show there. You can search for me on Facebook as well, and now you can find me there, as it was a requirement of my new Demonza Core contract. But it doesn't mean that I'll be joining the little Candy Crush group anytime soon. Thanks for downloading and listening, and come back next Friday for another episode of Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast.
The opening music for today's show was Dear God from XTC, off the album Dear God. If you'd like to buy the song or any other song from your various favorite alternative bands from the 1980s, I would suggest you go to one place and one place only, and that place is 2TrueFreaks.com. Well, you wouldn't be buying music at 2TrueFreaks.com, but you would be able to click the Amazon.com banner at 2TrueFreaks, which would lead you to Amazon where you could buy the type of music that you'd want to listen to, like XTC, or maybe some other alternative band from the 1980s, like, say, Susie and the Banshees or The Smiths. Those are some good choices as well. Plus, every time you use the link at 2TrueFreaks.com and buy something from Amazon.com, a little bit of your purchase price goes back to the website. It doesn't cost you anything extra, and it really helps the two freaks out. So anytime you're thinking about buying music, movies, games, entertainment of any sort, make sure you use the link at 2TrueFreaks.com. <laughs> 